0: Hey everyone, I'm Lauren Dukeman and I'm one of the hosts of the COMPEL podcast. On today's episode, Leah Humphries is sharing with us about the fears we face taking our kids to the mission field, as well as truths from God's word that combat those fears. So welcome to the COMPEL podcast, how ordinary women spread the gospel story. Today we're here with Leah. And I'm joined with Lauren Dukeman, and it's so good to have you here today, Leah. And before we get into the topic that we're going to discuss today, I'm just going to introduce Leah. Leah is a wife to Peter of 43 years and mother to five kids. She's grandma to 18 grandchildren. Leah served in Paraguay as a church planter for 25 years. In 2004, she and Peter began a new ministry with Ethnos Canada called Stillwaters a member care ministry
1: for missionaries.
0: Yeah, let's just get started. All right. Get into your story and hear how you got involved in missions.
1: Well, my parents were missionaries in the Philippines, and I went to school at Faith Academy there. I learned a lot about missions from my parents who were pretty much new believers, and then I went to Bible school. And my plan was to go to Biola for pre-med right after that. I had a plan all set out for my life. But then uh, I was challenged to missions by Peter Humphreys. And he Mm. said, are you sure that being a doctor is God's plan for your life? And I was like, do you have a better plan? Because I've been thinking this since I was in second grade. Wait, was he just a friend or had you already started dating Um, him at this point? We had started just going out casually I I was kind of afraid to get involved uh, seriously with somebody because I knew that would keep me from getting my medical degree. I didn't want to be distracted. But he was very distracting. (laughs) So he challenged me to pray about it. And during that time, I came across Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I realized I had been going out all the way... Uh, for the desires of my heart, and I wasn't even thinking about delighting in the Lord, mm. and so that really struck me. And I, I told him at the time, you know, that I was willing to consider missions, but um, I wanted to have something to offer first. And he just said, "What about your life?" And I, I always had struggled with not being enough and not doing enough, mm. and so I wanted to be somebody first. Anyway. What really turned the tide for me is that I was a very moody and um, angry person. And he came into my life so gently and loved me even through the, the bad times, the moody times and the times when I would shut him out. He was really a picture of Christ to me in loving me no matter what. And it seemed like he had faith enough for both of us. Mm. Anyway, the rest is
0: history. Yeah. And that's like such a great, was a great foundation for all these years, really for him. Yes. To be that rock for you
1: and challenging you towards Christ. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we pretty soon, we were finished our four years of training and we're starting to go to the field, thinking about going to the field and, um, Peter had always wanted to learn Spanish, so even though I grew up in the Philippines, he was willing to visit there, but he really wanted to work in South America. Mm-hmm. And and so... I was like, well, are we going to get a call or is there going to be writing in the sky or something? (laughs) And he said, "Um, let's just pray about it and see where, go in the direction that um, our heart is leading us and we can count on God to turn us in another direction if he doesn't want us there. So um, his best friend in Bible school had grown up in Paraguay. So he started thinking about Paraguay and he's like, let's just hop on that train and see where it takes us and Hmm. see if God takes us there. So that's what we did. Did you go with kids? (laughs) Yes. We had a a one-and-a-half-year-old. Sherilyn was one-and-a-half, and and Sean was seven-and-a-half months in my stomach. (laughs) So I was, yeah, when I got on the plane, the stewardess was like, after we got in the air, we called them stewardesses back then. Anyway, she said, um you know, you're not allowed to fly after seven and a half months. And now that we're up here in the air, you can be honest with me about how far along you are. And I was like, I'm truly only seven and a half months along, but my children were just so big. I mean, my stomach would enter the room a few minutes before I would, it was just always out there. So, yeah. And I remember you guys telling,
0: um, our family that you went to the field really young,
1: we did. Um, we were almost 21. Mm-hmm. I was just a month away from 21, and Peter turned 21 the next year. Mm-hmm. So we started at 17 in Bible school and just went from there. So we were pretty much babies when we got mm-hmm. to Paraguay. So looking back, do you did you feel like babies? Like, did you feel like, oh
0: man, we're over our heads? Or was there just a sense of, okay, God's just taking us, and we're
1: not thinking about age or... Any of that? I was always afraid of everything, and my mind would provide me yeah. with lots of bad scenarios of things that could happen. Um, but I thought, too, there's all these missionaries on the field that have been there for 40-some years, and they can finish raising us if necessary, and they did. <laughs> yeah. <Aww>. So. <laughs> And your parents
0: were missionaries, and his parents were missionaries, so you definitely had their backing.
1: Yes, we did, and that Mm. was exciting. Yeah, Peter's parents were um, originally from England, and then they got saved here in Canada and went to Australia just to spread the need for missions throughout the churches there. Mm -hmm. So when I first met Peter, he had, you know, (laughs) beach blonde hair and this tan and bright blue eyes, and... Australian accent that was so thick, oh, wow. I could hardly understand him. So I pretty much ignored him. But then, he started annoying Following me you in class. and Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Whole other time. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, we love love stories too, for sure. So you brought, um, well, you brought one and a half kids to the field, right? And then how many? Did you end well? We already
1: well. We have five now. Yeah. Um, Max entered our family uh, as a teenager, and we adopted him. And then uh, we had Derek and Carissa or Kiki after that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were um, the boys were all born in Paraguay. Sherilyn was born here in Canada, and Carissa was born in California, where I'm from. So that was interesting for us. Uh, We were hoping to have, you know, a good month and a half before Sean was born, but he was born a month premature after we got to the field, Um, but we can talk about that later. So we raised those kids there and took them out to the tribe to one of the most remote tribal areas in Paraguay, and that was another adventure. And I'm really married to Mr. Adventure. I mean, anything that's a challenge, he's excited about. And meanwhile, he's used to me churning out all the things that could possibly go wrong and why we shouldn't do something and basically why we should just stay locked in a room and never go anywhere, you know? (laughs) Miraculously, uh. have has put you together and it's worked. Yes, yes, right. I I said to him once, um, you know, I feel like I'm cement blocks on your feet, and you're just a, an eagle rising into the sun, and you have so many dreams and plans and visions. And mm-hmm. and he said, honey, I really need those blocks of cement on my feet, or I'd be like Icarus flying into the sun, and my wings would fall off. He said we really balance each other, so. <laughs> That's so I was glad that he appreciated me, and I think that we both um, came closer to the middle, came closer to each other without turning into each other. Yeah, I'm still a mystery to him, and I make sure it stays like that. He's still trying to figure me out.
0: Well, what took you to such a remote area of Paraguay? Like, why did you go there?
1: Uh, boy, I think I would have to back up first and tell you a little bit about Sean, mm-hmm. our oldest son. So two weeks after we arrived in Paraguay, um, I delivered Sean, and he was definitely premature. He was cyanotic, and he had he had so many problems, and I couldn't speak Spanish. And it was really a terrifying time for me, um, mm-hmm. you know, just just seeing him in such a bad way. Uh, the doctor said that he had a some kind of pressure in his brain, and, mm-hmm. and there was something between his heart and his lungs that were keeping him from breathing properly. And so he was always blue, and then he turned yellow with jaundice. And um, the the first two weeks of his life, I had to travel back and forth on a bus three times a day into the inner city just to nurse him and to continue bonding wow. with him. Mm-hmm. So... And And you,
0: overseas, that's just it's a different picture. Yes, yeah, for it, sure. It
1: was. Um but The Paraguayan people are very gentle, kind people, and when I would get on the bus, and of course, my belly was still hanging out because I'd just had a baby, so they assumed I was pregnant, and as the days went by and my belly started shrinking, I would get on the bus and and poof it out so that somebody would give me their seat (laughs) because it was such a long ride, and um, they always did, yeah. Those were interesting times. And then we brought him back to the mission guest house after a couple of weeks, and he would still turn blue, and we had to, you know, put him by the window so that um, his jaundice would clear up, and we had a, a nice little laundry basket somebody gave us. Um, we, ha- And then after that, we had a deep dresser drawer to put him in, so because our one and a half year old was still using the one crib that was in the guest house. So he just continued to have uh, like asthma attacks and croup attacks and turn blue. And and the doctor told us that he had spasmodic croup and still don't really know what that is, but he also had asthma. So when he got sick, we would have to rush him to the hospital. I mean, nothing at home worked and they would um, put they would give him oxygen and give him some Phenagin and cortisone and other things like that. And then he would revive. We'd take him home. And a a week later or two days later, he would have another attack. And so um, the doctor that delivered Sean was eventually killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. So we switched to a a German doctor and he he told us the same thing. He Mm -hmm. said, Um, Sean's going to be sick like this and need the emergency room for probably the next four years. And if he survives this, all of this, then... you know, he'll, he'll be stunted in his growth, and he'll have learning disabilities. He might be the kid that lives with you for the rest of his life. And they said, so just be prepared for that, because he has had so many of these attacks where he doesn't get enough oxygen. And so we had a very sick baby on our hands. And um, it was frightening to us to move away from the big city, but we needed to learn Spanish. That was our first job there. And so we took a bus five hours away to the little town of Concepcion, and there were some other missionaries there, Bob and Helen Goddard, who began to teach us Spanish, and we lived there for about a year. During that time, Sean had multiple frightening attacks, and I remember when he turned one, we were so thrilled that he made at least that first birthday, yeah. And but there was measles. It was a very hot time of year um, there. Our winters are June and July down there. And it it was um, the time of year when measles would go around, but Mm -hmm. he was just so sick. He had a high fever, and um, we couldn't get him the measles vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so he got measles. And I remember just laying him in this tub of shallow, warm water, just trying to get some of the heat out of his body. And he would convulse. And sometimes he would just stare at the ceiling for hours. And we were just like, what is happening here? And we didn't have any money at all because we had a big hospital debt. And so we couldn't even think about going back to North America. You yeah, know? that was going to be my next yeah. question.
0: Did you think about leaving?
1: Yeah, we did. But we were just so in debt. And and it, it was hard to feel like God was blessing us at that time, you know, because mm-hmm. and I I know now that these are blessings from God. These are opportunities for our faith to be increased. And but as a, a young mom, all I could think about was the health of my son and how many times he almost died. And and some uh, of
0: like your biggest fears were actually coming to pass. Like, yes. Yeah, I was living here about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I had lots of fears in mind, like there were snakes and spiders and all this kind of stuff. And it was just it was <laughs> it was it was hard to turn my mind away from that. But fortunately, I had two little kids that I needed to take care of along with language study. So I had five hours a day that I needed to get in of studies. And at the end of that time, the leadership asked us if we would consider working with the Manhui tribe. Um, both Peter and I, going through the training, had uh, learned languages easily, and they needed some language learners in that tribe. And Peter was so excited about that. And, of course, I was just terrified because that was my usual state of mind. And um, I learned during those times just to live in the day and just to do yeah. whatever that day brought, and, and even to be satisfied with... Um, what I got done with two little kids and but as we talked about it during that time when we had a few days to pray about it you know and Peter's usually like okay you know we'll pray about it together but I think I'll start packing because man I'm so excited about this you know and anyway during that time Sean had a terrible attack and we rushed him to the hospital and the doctor said I don't know what you guys are planning to do with the rest of your time in Paraguay. Just make sure you're within a few minutes of the ER because this Mm. is one sick little boy. And I, I said to Peter, do you think that God is maybe trying to get our attention here and that we should stick around? They did want us to continue on with the jobs that we had been doing, and it was enjoyable. And he said, why don't we just take the next step and just see what God does and and I was like, so you don't hear God closing the door because I think I just heard a big slam, Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's like, honey, just take one more step with me. Let's get on the bus, let's pack up and go to Philadelphia, which is a, a Mennonite colony there about 250 kilometers or so from Santa Rosa where they wanted us to work on the border of Paraguay and Bolivia. And, and let's just get up that far and, and just see what happens. You know, who knows? Maybe the weather will be better for Sean or something like that. And he said, I'm antsy I'm to go. And I I really feel excited about working in this tribe. So we packed up everything and um, got on the bus. And it was a nine-hour, dusty, awful trip. And um, Sean was already starting to wheeze. And I was wheezing, too. Um,
0: yeah. I was going to ask you about that because the weather in Paraguay is very dry and dusty.
1: Yes. Well, in Asuncion, it is much more humid. Okay. And so I think even his asthma was worse there. But when we got to the Chaco, it was very dry and... I'm sure that helped us in some way.
0: What's a Chaco?
1: The Chaco <laughs> desert of Paraguay is on the western side of Paraguay and it's just scrub jungle. Um, many Indian tribes live all in that area. Uh, the Mennonites first went in, I think it was the Iota tribe that they contacted. Yeah. Some of their people were killed. Um, and so, but there was a solid base of. Uh, a hospital and stores there and everything. So it was kind of like um, it was going to be our supply town. So we went up on the bus and stayed overnight in that guest house. Well, I did with Sherilyn and Sean. Um, Peter had to take the bus back to Asuncion and get the rest of our things. So we had gotten there about nine o'clock at night and the guest house hostess and her husband came to get us and and I saw how sick Sean was already. Um, and Peter was already gone, and I said, can your teenage daughter stay with us? Because I think I'm going to have to take Sean to the hospital, maybe in the middle of the night, if, he, if this doesn't settle down. And um, so they showed me where the hospital was, just a couple of blocks away from the guest house. Mm-hmm. So about midnight, I realized that Sean was getting worse, and um, wow. I took him into the ER, and they gave him the the shots and the treatments that the doctors in Asuncion had refused to give me, even though I had medical training, they said it's just too dangerous to be handing these out. We don't feel good about it. So you just need to stay in town, you know, and here we were out in the,
0: in in the the wilds of the
1: Gran Chaco desert. And so and I didn't even know, do they have good medical care here? Um, I just didn't know anything. And I was, of course, fearing the worst. So I walked over to the emergency room, and they gave Sean those treatments. And um, I remember on the way home, walking after Sean's breathing had settled down, and they said, please come back tomorrow and see the doctor about this, you know, because this is serious. And so I said, sure. And fortunately, they were able to talk to me in Spanish. Um, They spoke Spanish and German, and I spoke Spanish and English, so at least we had a common language. On the way home... Sean, who who didn't really talk until he was about three, he lifted his head up from my shoulder, and he said, look, and he pointed at the stars, and they were just so beautiful. And it it just reminded me, you know, God created all this. He created Sean. And and I remember saying, God, where is this little boy's daddy when he needs him? (laughs) And it was just like the spirit spoke to my heart and said, I'm all the father he needs right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and just, just comforted my heart. So, so, and that was just one of the only words that he spoke, Mm -hmm. you know, he barely called us mommy and daddy. He just didn't talk. Um, Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the next day I went to see the doctor. It was another German doctor and we were talking in Spanish and and he said, Do you realize how sick Sean is? Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, I think I, I do. And then I got, an, I got a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And then Did you talk to my husband? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then he he began to say the words that we had heard already twice in Asuncion. And, and he said, you know, you're going to need to live next to an emergency room until Sean outgrows this. Until he's four, mm. um, he's going to need oxygen. He's going to need cortisone, and you know, to bring him out of these attacks and everything. And he's probably going to be um, stunted in his growth, and and he's going to have a hard time talking and you know, interacting with people. You're just going to have to see what the consequences of this are. Mm. And I just started crying. And with backed up tears from days of feeling like, are we doing the right thing? And I, I said to him, we're not going to live here next to the emergency room. We're going to travel out to Wonta or Santa Rosa near the border of Bolivia and Paraguay. And he said, well, is there a hospital there? I said, no, there's just in the middle of the jungle. He said, why are you doing that? And I said, Peter and I both believe that God wants us to bring the gospel story to people who have never heard. And this tribe needs people who speak the language, and God has gifted us for that. And and so we're just taking it step by step and trying to move towards what he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I I looked at him and I thought, he just thinks I'm such an idiot. And, mm. and I didn't even know if he was a believer. And he leaned back in his chair and he said, you know, you are safer obeying God than living right here in the emergency room. Mm. He said, I'm going to give you all you need. I'm going to show you how to use it. Wow. And I was just blown (laughs) away because I was hoping to get a note from the doctor saying, please go straight back to Canada or the U.S., you know? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So I told Peter about that, and he was really excited, and he hadn't really faltered. He just felt like... God was going to take care of us, and and he was a powerful God, and he wasn't any less powerful out in the jungle. So we went out there, and in those first three years there, Sean had about eight life-threatening attacks, and each time the medicine brought him back, except for the last time. And I, I remember this so clearly, we had pink eye go around in the village. And and Sean just didn't really have any reserve against anything. If we got a cold, he would get pneumonia. And so the tribal people got pink eye, and he got it so bad that his eyelids were puffed out and swollen and were actually his eyelashes were down to the bottom of his nose. That's how it was uh, like a big golf ball was stuck yeah. underneath his He must have been eyeballs. so miserable. He was so miserable, but yeah. he was never a complainer. We often didn't even know if he was sick till we would pick him up and he would be burning with fever and he wouldn't have said anything. We gave all the tribal people the medication for pink eye and Sean too and nothing worked. Then we heard from the pilot that he was flying over our place and he was going to drop in because um, they had new medicine for pink eye. There was just pink eye everywhere and there was this wonderful wow. new medication that he was going to drop by. So I was so excited about that because Sean had actually been blind for three days by then and he was starting to wheeze. So before the pilot even landed in our, on our tiny airstrip out there, Sean had gone into full-blown uh, asthma attack and croup and I was trying everything and I gave him the medicine That always worked and it didn't work. Mm. So the pilot landed and um, stayed. He was just going to stay for like half an hour, but then we had a huge downpour. Uh, We called them aguaceros, and they're just like so much rain in just a few minutes, and it would just be flooded everywhere, and then it would sink quickly into the clay and it would suddenly be dry again. So that, that forced the pilot to stay a little bit longer during that time. As, as the time went by past giving Sean the injections that always worked, but they weren't working. I said to Peter, this is really a provision of the Lord that the pilot has come out because the medicine is not working and we need more help for Sean, you know? And he said, honey, let's, let's just pray about it together. And Ooh, that just, Annoyed me so much because human logic tells you, and, and it was like a miracle that the pilot had come in and everything. And I was trying to convince him, and and he said, you know, God sent us out here, and I think He can give us clear direction in this. And I I wanted to say in that instance, you pray, I'll pack, because I was <laughs> out of there with my kid, you know. <laughs> so the time came, the pilot said, you know, I need to take off. What do you think? And Sean was still pretty sick, and and Peter said you know, I just feel like God wants us to stay out here. Mm. And I I felt really angry and frightened. Yeah. And so the plane took off. And I remember standing at the door of our mud house, watching the plane take off and just feeling like my last hope had flown into the future and that my kid was gonna die, and everybody knew we had such a sick kid. And what were we doing out? You know, it was just so stupid of us to take him out to the ends of the world. And what were we even thinking? And oh, I was like, Sean's gonna die, and after that, I'm gonna kill Peter. You know, and I just—it's just looking bleak. I know. Aww. I was just so full of faith, as you can see. And- <laughs> So I was standing there just saying, God, I don't even know how to process this, I don't know how to handle it, and I want to trust you, but I just don't know how, and I'm sure you're so disappointed in me, and mm. and right then I felt a little tug on my skirt, and I looked down, and Sean was standing there, and his eyes were open, <laughs> Wow. for the first time in three days, <laughs> oh. and his breathing was completely normal. And I've just never forgotten that. And God is just so loving to, to take us through those times, you know. And Sean did outgrow the asthma and croup. And I don't know, are people allowed to cry on their pockets? Yes.
0: <laughs> You're lucky you didn't wear mascara. Long. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got waterproof on today. because yeah, I okay. knew you were sharing. <laughs>
1: um, you know, yeah. Wow. one thing about... God is that um and I think of the verse of when Jesus was going to be crucified and and Pilate said you know I could crucify you or set you free and and Jesus said no only God can make that decision and God was just teaching my heart that we are not the protector of our children that he is the one who's already decided the day of their birth and the day of their death and that we can just lean into that no matter where we are in the world um And today, Sean is 6'5". He turned out to be brilliant. He is wonderful in languages, um, has been a missionary himself for 16 years. They worked with the Nivacle tribe in Paraguay in a very difficult language, and God has blessed him with a wonderful wife and three children who are teenagers now. And I just look back on that, and the little I understood of God, and the little that I trusted in Him. And I realized that, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us not to lean on our own understanding, but we naturally do that. We Mm -hmm. lean on the understanding that we have, and we go right to the edge of what we can control. But it says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And that word means to recognize God. You know, and I began to see God not as standing off, throwing trials at us and seeing how we would respond, but actually being right next to us, um, filling us with His Spirit, being right at our elbow with us, and walking alongside of us, encouraging us with truth and with His people and with the Scripture that we've memorized and. Yeah. Um, Stories like that, which I have many, have just increased my faith. And God has shown me that he is a powerful God, in fact, way more powerful than I could even imagine. So you hear scary stories about taking your kids to the mission field. And of course, it is scary. Um, mm. It doesn't feel safe to take your kids overseas. but And and I think our greatest fear is that our kids will die out there, or that we'll die out there or something horrible will happen. Um, my mind always produced lots of scenarios that could happen, but, you know, statistics show that it isn't true that it's more dangerous to live overseas, and in fact, our kids thrived out in the jungle. Right. They loved it there, right. and yeah. and they had really good food, and, and I'm so thrilled for the, the several cultures and, and languages that they learned, and how they Um, enjoyed integrating with people of other cultures and languages and how much they helped us in our language study and culture Mm -hmm. study as they played with the Manhui kids. So what would you say to your younger self um, as you prepared to take kids in the mission field and yeah just raising them in a different
0: culture you kind of talked about already a little bit but
1: yeah I felt like I had the weakest faith of anyone in the world and I didn't know if I was if I would last on the field I I Often said, "Why did God ask me to be a missionary? I, I'm not a tough person. I'm more of a, an a nerd. I like to study. Um, I don't like to get dirt under my fingernails. I have no gardening skills. How am I going to be any good? You know." <laughs> Sorry, I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. I'm just.
0: <laughs> we do have a lot of excuses, don't we? Yes,
1: yeah, so I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. Why are you uh... sending me? You know. And anyway, I would just say to myself, "Don't be worried." Uh, about your faith because it's God who provides it and it's God who gives you circumstances that are outside of your control for you to learn to lean on him and I guess now as a counselor I would say to myself Leah stop thinking all your thoughts stop letting your mind run wild and curtail those thoughts and pour truth over them remind yourself who you belong to and how powerful God is and hide his word in your heart instead of all your fears that's what I would Say to myself, I mean, there's so many situations in life where we, we feel like our head is in a the, a fog and we don't know what the next step is. And God gives us just as much light as we need to take the next step. And we don't like that. We want to see the future. But as I began to realize, you know, God has His head above this fog. He is already in the future. He knows how it's going to turn out. The worst thing that I can do, no matter what happens, is not bring glory to God because mm-hmm. that's why I was created. I like
0: that because you're you're not denying your fears or your feelings, but you're replacing them. So you yeah. do acknowledge, God, I'm human. God, I'm scared. God, I feel this way. But then you replace them with biblical truth. Exactly. So just... Um, Hinging on the last question, what gospel truth comes to mind when you think of raising
1: kids? So many scriptures come to mind, but I think that one that has kind of lifted itself up in our relationship with our kids is Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as Christ, um, in Christ God forgave you, and that we're supposed to forgive each other like God forgave us through Christ. Um, Admitting our faults to our kids, not holding them to a standard that we're not holding ourselves, and really actually being models of Christ to them, whether they got in trouble or um, were discouraged, that Mm -hmm. we would reflect, and especially me, that I would reflect Christ to them and not my own fears, Mm -hmm. you know. And over the years, as God continued to show me that I was not the protector of my children, that he was the mighty God that raises people from the dead. Oh, my word. What Mm -hmm. kind of power did I think I had to save my kids? You know, I have nothing. And um, took us through these times and took us through different trials with our kids and talking things through with our kids, helping them to develop that same habit of taking what had happened to them through the truths of the Word of God. That, to me, is living the gospel, you know, in our home. That is the greatest thing that we can do. And as as we are accepting God's forgiveness for our sins, that flows through to our kids, and that can flow through to others. And we were, we're all sent as ministers of reconciliation. And mm-hmm. if we can't reconcile with our children, with our husband, with our co-workers, we don't have a message. Mm-hmm. And the people can see that. You know, if we can't even get along, if we can't even figure out our problems, they're not going to be interested in our message. So, mm. That's yeah. very powerful. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. And it continues to be as, as God's work of building our faith. And it really is His work has helped us to see that every dip in the road that comes along or every disaster or every shock, that He's in it with us and that He longs for us to recognize Him and thank Him before we have the answer and truly show and acknowledge His sovereignty and His power in our lives and get further and further away from leaning on our own understanding. Well, we're certainly going to have you back. And okay. And we are going to share more about your work in Paraguay and just different things that... I'm excited about it. can... It's just more of God's story in our lives. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing today, Leah. You're welcome.
0: Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. If you want to learn more about Ethnos Canada or about caring for our missionary kids or member care, you can go to ethnos.ca. Catch you next time.